We are looking together these days at some gospel accounts of meals eaten with Jesus. And today we come to the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. You perhaps have never thought of that as a meal, but that's what it was, a picnic lunch out there on the hills of Palestine. God's word for us is found in Luke chapter 9 today. Luke 9 beginning at verse 10. This is God's holy word. Give it your careful attention. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging, because we are in a remote place here. He replied, You give them something to eat. They answered, We have only five loaves of bread and two fish, unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. About 5,000 men were there. But he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everyone sat down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets full of broken pieces that were left over. May God bless this, his word, to our understanding and applying in our lives. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The beginning of today's passage finds Jesus trying to get away. He went on a retreat. He withdrew from the crowds with his disciples to the area of Bethsaida, perhaps on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Luke noted that Jesus and the disciples went by themselves, but when the crowds heard about it, they followed him. The picture we have here of Jesus is of a person who is in much demand. He's a healer of many sick. He is the truth teller among people longing to be set free. He is going away with some of his closest friends for some peace and quiet, only to be followed and soon surrounded again by people in need. And that's what awaits everyone who follows through on the commitment to serve Jesus Christ. There are always more people 
waiting to be served. Whether you slug it out with the pagans of a suburban ghetto or you minister among the hard core of an inner city or make inroads for Christ into a deceptively peaceful looking town in rural America or whether you go as a missionary overseas people are just going to be coming all the time they're going to keep coming because people are hungry in the fall of 1978 a little nation named Guyana in South America was put on the map once and for all by the mass suicide of over 900 people the Jonestown incident a few days after that grisly story broke in the news I was in Richmond Indiana attending a pastors conference at the Yolkfellow Institute and one day Elton Trueblood, who was a well-known and popular author and speaker and theologian, came by that institute for lunch. And we sat around a table and talked with him. And of course, the talk turned that day to Jonestown as we tried to make some sense out of that terrible tragedy where over 900 people died. I remember True Blood calling it a symptoms of people's emptiness. A symptom of people's emptiness. And he said in some memorable words, you can tell how, how hungry people are by the junk they'll eat. You can tell how hungry people are by the junk they'll eat. And to me that's an apt description of the human condition. People all around us are stuffing themselves with almost anything in order to fill a growing void inside. They are eating not only the cyanide-laced Kool-Aid of a Jim Jones, but they're eating the junk food of materialism and the non-nutritive stuff of false religion. Men and women madly consuming and in the process being consumed themselves. The first fact of Christian ministry, the first foundation on which our service for Christ is based is that people need it. People are hungry. That is, it seems to me, a basic fact of Christian ministry out of this miracle story that we have here in the Gospel of Luke and in the other three Gospels as well. Jesus and any of his followers who have the authentic food, the real stuff of life, the bread from heaven, the bread of life will be swarmed by the needy. They will be much in demand, as Jesus was, because they have what it takes to satisfy the hungers of humanity. It's fitting that this miracle, which meets the literal hunger of people, that afternoon is set in the gospel accounts against the backdrop of people coming out looking for Jesus to see if perhaps he can fill the other hungers of their lives. They need healing. They need truth. They need deliverance. They need teaching. 
And these hungry people became literally hungry as the day wore on. And the 12 disciples became concerned. Concerned enough to call Jesus' attention to their empty stomachs and to the remote place where they were and to the lack of enough food to go around. And there I think we have the second foundational fact of Christian ministry, the concern of the followers of Jesus Christ for people in need. Now, concern is not the same as mere awareness. Concern is in that classic definition of sympathy, your pain in my heart. And I would add your growl in my stomach, your itch on my skin, your tears in my eyes. That's what Christian compassion and concern is, not mere awareness, but concern. You probably don't remember the name Lenny Skutnik. It's a memorable name. It's very unusual. Lenny Skutnik. In the early 80s, he was on his way home from his job in the Congressional Budget Office in Washington, D.C., when an Air Florida jet slammed into Washington's 14th Street Bridge. Do you remember that incident? Skutnik and other people on that bridge watched horrified by what they were seeing as that plane crashed into the water and and broke apart and as passengers freed themselves from the tangled wreckage and sought to get to shore. And then at great risk, Lenny Skutnik, alone among all the spectators, jumped from the bridge into the water to pull people to safety. Why was Lenny Skutnik, I just love that name for some reason, why was he, among all the people watching, all those observers, why was he moved? I think he was moved because he was able, at least for a moment, to put himself in the victim's place. And he was moved beyond mere concern or feelings of pity or compassion to action, to acts of kindness and rescue. And that, I think, is the evolution of Christian ministry. Anything we do in the name of Christ, anything we do for Jesus for people in need, identification with needy people eventuating in concern, active concern for them. Now, if I had been one of the disciples, and I've often commented that you should be glad I wasn't, uh, if I had been one of the disciples, I'm not sure I would have been as concerned as the disciples seem to have been for the hungry crowd. Knowing myself, after all these years, I I think I probably would have done an an analysis, a a critical analysis, and I would have probably commented on those foolish people. What were they thinking coming out here into the wilderness? What did they think was going to happen? Did they think they weren't going to get hungry at uh, supper time? Why have they brought no food. And uh, when Jesus told the disciples to have the crowd sit down in groups of about 50, I, I probably would have said, well, why don't we first separate the needy people from the truly needy people or, or, or something like that. Compassion didn't come naturally to the disciples any more than it comes naturally to you and me. 
first century Palestine was even more of a dog-eat-dog-every-man-for-himself kind of world than our world is. And what saved the apostles from callousness, what brought them to the point of being concerned, was that they had walked with Jesus by this time for about two years. And they had learned from Jesus what compassion looks like what active caring and concern really is. And that's what will save you as you go about your life and encounter people in need. And that's what saves me sometimes in my service of people. It is walking with Jesus day to day and caring when he cares. Knowing when Jesus would care and caring when he cares. And so the disciples took their concern for the crowd to Jesus. I think that they were asking him to dismiss the crowd. They said to him, in effect, Jesus, it's time for the benediction. Uh, send the people away. Uh, send the crowd home before it gets any later. And then notice carefully Jesus' response. He said to the disciples, you give them something to eat. Have you ever noticed that before? You give them something to eat. And the you is emphatic. It means you yourselves. You give them something to eat. You see, what's happening here is in this game of tag beside the Sea of Galilee that day, the 12 are saying, not it, not it, not it. And then Jesus says to them, you're it. You give them something to eat. And to each person who really follows Jesus comes that same voice saying, you're it. If you want to serve him, you're going to hear him say from time to time, you're it. You give them something to eat. And that, I think, is a third foundational fact of Christian ministry. Jesus assigns to us, his followers, the task of feeding hungry people. Now, what was Jesus doing here when he lays this burden, this impossible ministry upon the disciples? He might have been just kind of taunting them with their impotence, their Powerlessness. You give them something to eat. Let's see if you can do it. Maybe he was kind of toying with his powerless disciples. Or maybe he was teasing them. Or maybe he was teaching them a lesson about their relative worth when it comes to kingdom work. Or maybe he was reminding them in no uncertain terms of the immensity of the gap that exists between them and, and him. I don't think any of those is the right answer. I think Jesus was telling them to do something they could do themselves. The 12 were not the bumbling clods that they were when they first started following Jesus. They had walked with Jesus for a good while. They had learned some of Jesus' compassion. But even more importantly than that, Jesus had shared with them his power. 
He'd shared with them his power. And I think what we have here in this ninth chapter of the Gospel of Luke is arguably the beginning of the church where Jesus commissions his followers to do his work in the world. Listen to the, ver to the first verses of this ninth chapter of Luke. When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And so the twelve had been sent out previously with the power of Christ to do the work of Christ. It says in verse 6, So they set out and went from village to village preaching the gospel and healing people everywhere. And then in verse 10, the first verse of our text this morning, when the apostles returned, that is, returned from this missionary trip in which they had applied the power of God to human need, when the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Now think with me for a moment about this which is harder for us humans to do? Drive out all demons or feed 5,000 people? What could we do if we really psyched ourselves up for it? Or which would we be able to do only if we were endowed with the power and authority of Jesus Christ over all things? Preach the kingdom of God or feed 5,000? Which is more miraculous, healing the sick or feeding the crowd? Who were these men? Who were the disciples? They had a track record, you see, of meeting human need with the resources of Christ. And I believe they could have fed 5,000 when Jesus said, you give them something to eat. Well, who are you? Every person Jesus calls to serve people in his name, Jesus equips. With his calling comes his gifting. He lays no impossible demands on us. Uh, yesterday I had to go out and make sure that the sump pump at our townhouse complex was running and pumping the water that fell as rain out of that basin uh, into the street uh, so that our garages would not flood. I'm so glad I had a pump. I'm so glad that I had more than a pail to bail with. Can you see me? There must have been thousands of gallons of water. Can you see me hauling a two-gallon pail several thousand times between the garages and the street 15 feet up. Jesus gives us all we need to do everything he asks us to do. Everything that we need to accomplish, everything he's asked us to do, he gives to us. I think this is so important when we Consider what serving others in the 
name and with the power of Christ means. Feelings of inadequacy plague those who would serve Jesus. There never seems to be enough. But never, never forget that Jesus will never tell you to do anything you cannot do. The disciples took Jesus' instructions here seriously. If he was teasing them or joking with them, they didn't get the joke. They answered by tallying up their resources, by adding up what they had. We have only five loaves of bread and two fish. And then some visionary added in one of the gospel accounts as if trying to figure out how possibly they might supply the food unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. And then in another gospel it says that would take eight months' wages to buy food for this many people. You see, they're tallying up, they're adding up their resources and how that parallels our accounting of our resources when we meet challenges in ministry. Here's the need. What do I have with which I can meet it? How can I use my time, my energy, my intelligence, my creativity, my experience, such as they are, to meet this need, to do this hard thing? We have to learn that without God, we're right about our limitations. But that with God, we can do whatever God asks. Are you tracking with me this morning? What we often fail to do is factor in God's power. His power to multiply the puny things that we can scrape together. His power to enhance those things and to use those so that hungry people, hungry in all kinds of ways, hungry people are filled. We repeat the error of Jesus' first century followers who said, I don't have much, this is all I have. And here's that fourth foundational fact of serving Jesus. If you've got the power of Christ, you've got enough. You've got enough. The story of the Bible is the story of underdogs. Have you ever noticed that? Everywhere you look, you see underdogs coming out on top. You see the weak and the powerless succeeding. Moses, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and tell him to let your people go? David, the shepherd boy showing up with a sling to defeat mighty Goliath. Peter, one who had denied Jesus not once but three times, becoming the most effective proponent of the gospel in the early church. The Apostle Paul, encountered by Christ on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians, turned into the foremost apostle and missionary. Underdogs succeeding. If you've got the power of Christ, you've got enough. The ending of this miracle story is a demonstration of how to do God's things, God's way. Jesus took what he had, thanked God for it, and used it. 
Now, I've never fed 5,000 people, but I've seen things happen far beyond what my five loaves and two fish could account for. I have seen confused people find direction. I have seen people who lived to hurt learn to love. I have seen sick people made well. I have seen ingrown people and churches turned outward to encounter a needy world with the things of God. I've seen people who are walking away from God turn around and walk back toward him and discover his friendship and his life. That really is a word of grace, isn't it? That Jesus uses people like us to do his things. Amen. Let us pray.